Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, this is Rob Moore here. 15 things I learned or relearned about money, writing a book about money. So I'll cover those 15 things in a second just to set the scene. I posted recently a thread about whether we should tax the rich and it brought all sorts of polarised views around money. Money's great, money's evil, capitalism's an efficient system, capitalism is evil. So I'm going to discuss some of those things. Also, a lot of people asking me when my new book Money is coming out. It will be this year. It is down to my publishers. Jonathan, if you're watching, appreciate uh, but, you know, I don't have the exact date, so I thought this would be useful. All right, so first thing about money is that money is neutral. Now, uh, people tend to think money is what they tend to think it is. Uh, the thing with money is uh, it is the root of all evil. It is the root of all good. The love of money is the root of all good. The love of money is the root of all evil. So, for example, I tend to have a positive view of money because I've had a better relationship with it. So I tend to see Bill Gates raising his tens of billions for his philanthropic causes. And I tend to notice what, um, you know, um, employing our staff and paying the taxes that we do and where our money goes and how it serves people and me setting up my foundation and donating all the profits of my new book money to the foundation and the great gifts it gives my parents and my children and my family. And I, t I tend to see that. Um, but when I was poor, I tended to see greed. I tended to see, you know, people, um, you know, not really uh, using money to serve others. I tend to used to see power and corruption. I used to see someone driving a Ferrari and think they'd nicked it or that they'd stole money off people. It's ironic now because now I drive Ferraris. And, you know, what we do is we project how we feel about life and money and ourselves onto money, thinking that's what money is. But money is neutral. Money is simply a mechanism of exchange of value, a universal mechanism to exchange value from one individual to another. That's what money is. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. Um, so leading on to number two then, it's also a fuel for all good as it is a fuel for all bad. You know, there are sayings such as, you know, the love of money uh, is the root of all evil. But also money is the root of all hospitals. It's the root of all curing of diseases. You know, it looks like we're going to get rid of polio. I said when I say we like I'm doing it with Bill Gates, but it looks like polio is virtually gone. And that is funded by the billions that Bill Gates and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett have you know, as philanthropists have pumped into solving that you know, that disease, which is an amazing thing. And most of the great American universities and libraries, they were founded, built, set up by Vanderbilt, by Carnegie, you know, by the great American billionaires. Now, of course, there are evil capitalists who run countries, you know, who are using um, money to fund weapons and wars. That is true. So remember, money is both good and bad and tends to behave the way the beholder behaves. So once you... Um, become who you want to become, uh, you simply use money as a vehicle to express your values and who you are. Number three then of the 15 is you can only learn to manage money uh, better when you learn to manage money and you'll only get more money when you learn to manage better what you already have. Okay, so that's a little bit of a mouthful. In, in this sort of, I posted uh, an article, or rather just a question, which said, should we tax the rich more? 
And there's a lot of discussion around education and, you know, how well uh, people in government or central banks or people who control our money and our policies, you know, how well they manage our money or how well they don't manage our money and how much wastage there is. But if we're putting people in positions of authority to manage money who don't know how to manage money very well, who going back all through the schooling system haven't been haven't been taught to manage money well, then giving them more money, all it does is, you know, it exaggerates the problem. So money will fuel and fund more of what it fuels and funds. So, you know, if you give someone who has no knowledge and understanding of managing money a few million quid, like often happens with lottery wins, what they're going to do is the same thing they did with the money, but more and worse. So this is why there are so many people who won the lottery who were poor, who two or three years later have lost all the money. And many of them even say that their life is even worse than before they had the money. Because, you know, like just using some sort of very uh, basic examples, you know, if they, if they were a gambler or if they, were, if they spent frivolously or maybe if they had addictions, all they're going to do with money is more of that. Whereas if you give millions to someone who invests you know, and, and has compounding and, you know, maybe a bit of speculation and grows businesses and serves humanity and solves problems, they're going to take those millions and they're going to do that. So if you want to make more money, the, the first step is educating yourself on money, on economics, on finance, on capitalism, on the history of money, you know, on, on creating a, a business, on solving meaningful problems in the world, on the spiritual side of money, on the nature of money, on currency, you know, all the different facets and subjects of money. When you educate yourself on them, you learn to manage money better. And then what you find is the money you are receiving, that you've been receiving, you grow, you compound, you leverage, you invest, and therefore you attract more of it because what you grow, compound, leverage and invest kicks you back more money and then you make more. And people see you managing money better and they put business propositions to you and joint venture finance to you and loans to you. Whereas when they see you mismanaging money, they don't want to give you more money. And that's a really important point. So, you know, this big rant and debate that are all over my social media platforms at the moment about whether we should tax the rich. Well, you know, we can't blame people for mismanaging money when we put them in positions when they've not been educated on money. So I think the, the discussion about managing money and taxation, where it goes and all the wastage, goes right the way back to school. Uh, here's some irony. I was taught at school. I was considered in the top set at school, um, which I know you wouldn't believe, but I was. So they made me do geography in French. And it was called géographie. And we were taught geography in French. We couldn't speak English in this geography lesson. We had to learn geography in French. How's that useful for today's modern world? You know, how's that going to help me serve humanity, care for our species, to evolve, to survive, to thrive? Eh? What is it they say now? What, the, what do the young people say? What the actual fuck? But I was, you know, okay, there was an economics class, but we were never really informed as to why we needed it. There was nothing about money management. There was nothing about emotional management. You know, there was nothing about the spiritual side of money, the currency of money, the flow of money, you know, how to manage and save and invest. There was none of that at school. Um, so anyway, I don't want to rant anymore. I want to go on to number four, uh, which actually number four is the one I've covered. So number five. Um, so let me read number three and four again, because I think I've got, got them um, slightly mixed. So you can learn to manage money better by learning more about it but only if you can see the upside as well as the downside. So if you look at a lot of the debates that are going on in my communities and on my profiles, a lot of people have quite a glass half empty and a negative view of money. 
And so the problem is with the glass half empty negative view of money, you get what you look for. So if you look for a glass half empty, you'll find a glass half empty. So, um, you know, the, the first step is saying, I want to have a good relationship with money. The second step is saying, I'm going to go and learn about all the good things that money can do and how money works. Also learn about the downsides and how to maybe negate those or solve those um, and be open to seeing an upside of money, just not a downside of money. Then number four was you will only make more um, when you learn to manage what you've already got. So number five then is, Many of our great institutions, such as universities and libraries and hospitals, uh, were founded by wealthy philanthropists. You know, our railway, our, you know, our roads, our transport, our infrastructure, that was either funded by billionaire philanthropists. You know, if you look at the steel industry and what Andrew Carnegie did, steel, rail, you know, and how that served humanity. And then with the taxation systems that come in that, you know, take money from people who earn it and then reinvest it, hopefully wisely, back into infrastructure to, to, you know, to keep it into repair, to ensure that we have good health care, good water, you know, sanity. Sanity? Is that right? Sanitary. Yes. You know, we're clean. We're healthy. We're free of illness and disease, etc. And this is all fueled by money or research and development or progress of humanity or technology is all fueled and financed by money. OK, number six. Capitalism is a relatively efficient and fair system and has endured over time. I'm reading my notes here, as you can see. It has its critics, but all better suggestions have not proven to be more effective yet. While some become victims to capitalism, others would in any other system, and a merit-based system of money seems to be the most effective. So that's my long-winded way of saying in the last 10, 11 years of researching money and being skinned and then you know making a decent amount of money myself, top 0.004%, I believe I am, last time Mark and I worked it out. Um, capitalism is the system, it's the prevalent system, we can fight against it or we can accept it, and it seems to be the best merit-based system uh, where uh, money tends to move with the least amount of friction uh, and, and tends to serve humanity's growth um, because a lot of people are really anti-capitalism, but, you know, what other system or solution is there? You know, communism, you know, has that really proven to be any better? In fact, probably not. I think there are only now six communist states, or at least that were the last time I did my research. Okay, number seven then, money is flow, movement and energy. So it works most effectively when it's, in, when it's able and enabled to do this. So when, is, when money is enabled to flow and like energy transfers and never stays still and energy is sim simply moves from form to form to form to form, um, as does money, you know, it moves from an idea to a solution to a physical piece of paper to, you know, digits in a bank statement into gold and so on. It just moves from form to form to form to form to form to form to form. When it's allowed to do that freely with low friction, it speeds up. Um, so money isn't hoarding or, you know, stashing or, you know, like a physical amount that you take and you collect. Money is flow and speed. Uh, and the more you increase that, the more you'll get. The more energy you give it, the more you'll get. So something to think about around money. Um, er extremes around money will tend to erode wealth. So, for example, giving too much away means you have none left. Hoarding it all means no one will give you any. Um, so be wary of your extremes. Infatuation and the love of money or, you know, the um, despair and hatred of money. Um, Overexcitement in investing or over-skepticism in investing 
any emotional extreme or any sort of perceived extreme generally tends to erode wealth. So you want to look at balance. You know, for example, you want to trust people, but verify. You know, you want to believe that money has a positive outcome, but you want to do your diligence and research and invest it wisely. Okay, number eight, money flow or attraction has a formula, which I've created, uh, and that is value plus fair exchange times leverage equals wealth. That's value plus fair exchange times leverage equals wealth. So um, you will be remunerated equally to the amount of value you give society, because if you give more value to society... Uh, and therefore, you serve humanity better. You know, you become a necessary part of humanity. Therefore, you enable humanity to survive and thrive and evolve. You will obviously be rewarded by humanity for serving humanity. And of course, if you if you don't serve humanity, you will be evolved out of humanity. Um, you know, like the you know the strongest survive. Or um, you look at how genes have evolved if you believe in evolution. So money, because money serves humanity and is a reflection of humanity. Um, then so it behaves. Giving more value means you'll attract more wealth. But there has to be fair exchange, which is the second part, which is you have to equally charge and give. If you don't charge and you just give, you demean your own value and therefore you end up not making a sustainable profit margin because you can't maintain your overhead because you're not charging enough. And a lot of people have low self-worth equals low net worth. But then conversely, if you're overly greedy and you overcharge and you don't give enough value, people, you will oversell something. People will expect more than what they get. And then they will disrupt your wealth by complaining, by damaging your brand, by asking for refunds, by increasing your overhead, by, you know, uh, straining your customer service because you're not giving them the value that you promised. So there has to be not just wealth but a balance of fair exchange where you're charging in line with your value. Now, when you hit the sweet spot, you have sustainable wealth. Too low, you can't pay your overhead. Too high, you're perceived as greedy. Uh, you know, you're not given as good value. Your competitors will um, erode your margin um, or, you know, you will be brought back into balance by humanity. Okay, and then let the last part of the formula is leverage, which is, you know, the more customers you have, the more followers you have on Facebook and fans and, you know, the more reach you have and the more customers you have and the more leads you have, uh, you know, the, the more global your reach, the more exaggerated your wealth will be. But if your um, value and fair exchange is out of balance and then you have leverage, it can cause that in the extreme. So you probably only want to look at scaling and increasing the leverage once you've got the fair exchange in balance. Number nine, money, currency, etc., has evolved over time and will continue to do so. Money loves trust, speed, and dislikes friction. So new technology and systems that increase speed and trust increase the flow of money. That's my long-winded way of saying that money has evolved over time and gotten quicker over time. You know, it used to be at the speed of a horse or the speed that you could walk or the speed that however quick the letter could get, you know, the, the bill could get to the person. And then things like rail speeded it up, and you know, tra transportation, and then telecommunications, and you know the, the the airline industry, and then fiber optics and the speed of light. Uh, and so, as money has increased in speed, so GDP increases, the volume of the money flow increases. Um, and if you if you embrace and use technology that increases the speed of money, like the, the you know the the Apple Pay on your phone, or how PayPal made it easier to make payments, etc., 
then you'll tend to attract more wealth into your life because money loves speed and hates friction. So, you know, if you went on to buy something online and, and the page that you're trying to check out on took 40 seconds to load, you probably wouldn't check out on that page. Whereas if that took 0.4 seconds to load, you'd probably check out on that page. So money loves speed and dislikes intensely friction. So how can you reduce the friction of money flow through you and to your customers and clients and you know everyone that you affect in your life? Because once you do that, uh, then you'll increase your flow of money. I went to fill up at Tesco Extra, um, you know, my filled up my Audi RS6, and literally it was t it took me about ten minutes to fill up forty quid. Now it's about hundred quid to fill up the, uh, the the car, and I just got so bored. And I was like, it's taking me so long because my time, you know, we all, all of our time is valuable. So I thought, sorry, I'm stopping at 40 quid and I'm not coming back to this petrol station again. So they've lost my business because it's friction, because it's too slow. All right then. Sorry, um, Tesco, I'm not knocking you. I'm just saying it's good feedback for you, you know, uh, make it quicker. All right then. Uh, number 10. Fear, envy, guilt and shame usually stint the growth and the flow of money. So your emotions, your lack of self-worth, your fear of investing or speculating or growing a business, for example, your envy of others who are wealthy and your perception of how they've gained that wealth and therefore, um, you know, feeling that you wouldn't do what they would do even though you don't know how they've earned their wealth. Guilt around things that you've done in the past normally means you give money away and you can't keep it because you don't feel that you're worth it. Um, these negative emotions, which are necessary, by the way, to uh, survive as a, a human race. I'm not saying, um, you know, that you shouldn't. I'm not saying you, you, you can't feel them. I'm saying that fear, envy, guilt and shame usually stint the growth and flow of wealth. The higher your self-worth, the higher the net worth. So just be aware how your emotions are affecting how you're managing your money. You know, greed or, um, you know, sometimes people go out and they go, um, retail therapy. They feel really bad. So they go out and shop a load and spend a load of money and then they look at the credit card and then they feel really guilty and then their self-worth goes down and then they have a void and then they go and repeat the same pattern. Or people who go and gamble because they're empty because there's not enough inside them. So they go and gamble to get this good feeling or to get this money um, and, and it becomes an addiction uh, uh, which these negative emotions create. Emotional mastery, self-mastery equals financial mastery. Okay, number 11, others' judgment of you and your wealth are a sign of their emotions, experience and upbringing of money, not your own. So if you have money, manage money well, grow money, become wealthy, uh, then people will judge you. But people will judge you anyway. So their judgment of you isn't indicative of you per se, it's indicative of how they perceive you through their own filters of the world. So, um, you know, I remember when my first car was this clapped out um, Vauxhall Astra. And uh, my dad helped me buy it. And I was very grateful. And to me, it was a, you know, a good car. But plenty of people saw that car and thought, you know, look at that piece of shit. You know, what a twat driving that piece of shit. Uh, and then when I started buying Ferraris, people are like, look at that twat driving that Ferrari. And it didn't really seem to matter what car I had or what I did to it or how I drove it. Uh, they would judge me. People would judge you anyway. So you might as well be rich. You might as well get out there and serve humanity and serve yourself in equal balance and go and make plenty of money and do good, responsible things with that money and do it unashamedly and let people judge you anyway. So when people judge you, they're judging themselves through you. And of course, that can make, make them feel better, more secure about themselves as they judge you. So... Just um, accept that you'll be judged. Accept that it's their judgment of you and not 
your reality of you and just simply go and do what's right for you, what's best for you and others around you. Okay, number 12. Um, it's okay to love money, but it's wise to manage and understand it well and beware of those extreme emotions. So um, when my book Money comes out, hopefully the, what it will achieve is to, to tell everyone, to tell the world, that it's okay to have a love affair with money. And it's okay to, to um, not be money grabbing or purely money focused, but embrace money into your life. Focus on money well, manage money. You know, be okay with earning your fair share of it. There's more than enough money in the world for all of us to, to be plenty wealthy. So um, it's kind of like a, a pro view of money. And, and I really do think it's okay to have a love affair with money, but just not to the extreme of greed or at the expense of absolutely everything and everyone else in your life. So it's wise to have a balanced relationship with money, but it's okay to love it. Number 13 then, we live in a very sophisticated, balanced and relatively safe financial community when compared to history. Uh, so a lot of people say, oh, you know, the, the world we live in now and the capitalist society, it's evil, it creates wars, you know, it's killing people. But, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, tribes would just come and kill everyone else in a tribe and just take all their money. And, you know, property and land ownership was much harder. And basically, if they had a bigger army, they'd just come and steal it all. Uh, and whilst there is difficulty sometimes with security, say with a Bitcoin hack or, you know, these online scams or, you know, maybe some governments, you know, less refined, evolved governments in third world countries, you know, it's definitely not perfect. But the world is a safer financial place than it used to be thousands of years ago. Um, and people often forget that because they just see the downside. Um, you know, if you own something, it's very likely you're going to be able to keep it. And it's going to be very difficult for someone to just come and, you know, raid and loot you out of it. Number 14, serving vast numbers of people with meaningful problems to solve is a good formula for vast wealth. So if you want vast and lasting, sustaining and scaling wealth, serve vast numbers of people with a meaningful problem and have the fair exchange where you charge a fair price for it, you know, a fair, a fair exchange, which is dictated by your self-worth and what the market will pay. You know, like, do you remember the days when you used to get a phone contract and you could negotiate the best handset? Remember those really cool Samsungs or Nokias? You could get them free if you paid £5 a month extra on your contract or you negotiated, you know, with the, with the phone supplier. And then Apple came along and they make these beautiful, sleek things that are intuitive and work really well. And people pay hundreds of pounds for them and they queue up all night a day or two days before the launch. So there's the market prices, there's your self-worth and belief in your product, and both of those forces have an impact on your pricing. And some people say, oh, well, I can't charge any more for my products because the market says it's only worth X. But Steve Jobs would say, I know the market better than the market knows the market. So I'm going to give them something that's going to change their life and be intuitive and user-friendly and gives, give them utility. And I'm going to charge 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 pounds for something that you used to be able to get free if you paid £5 a month more on your contract. So just remember that if you think you're in a commoditized marketplace, serve vast numbers of people with meaningful, meaningful problems and you'll, you will grow your wealth. And then number 15, the vastly wealthy tend to be persuaded by society to go, do good things with the money. So uh, in the past past and to, in current day, if people get too wealthy and too greedy and too extreme with hoarding and building their wealth and moving it overseas and not paying any tax and doing evil things with it, society tend to overthrow them. Now, in the past, that would be that the kings, you know, they would get overthrown or, you know, there would be a rebellion from within. 
Uh, and a recent example of that is Bill Gates, who very famously in his 20s was focused on being a millionaire, focused on being a millionaire, and then more, because a very capitalist uh, company and individual. Uh, I'm sure he didn't uh, one day um, when he was in his 20s trying to be a millionaire think, oh, I'm also going to give away billions. Society and other people's perceptions and projections onto him basically forced him to give a lot of his wealth away. Um, and society tends to do that because that serves society. It doesn't serve society for you know, one individual to hoard all the wealth and not do good things with it. So whilst, yes, there are some people hoarding wealth and making billions and you know, maybe not doing as much as they could with it, but actually if you look at what they're doing, they probably are donating millions and millions to charity and spending a lot of money and creating more flow with bigger tips and you know, investing in um, assets that produce income and serve people like property that has tenants and spending more money on products and services everywhere they go, increasing the GDP of the local economies. They go to local shops and they buy up all the clothes and they hire all the expensive cars and, the, you know, and the, um, they, they charter a private jet and they charter a big yacht and because there are people that are employed by that. So money speeds up as these wealthy people move from place to place. So they, still, they do serve humanity in that regard. But if they get overly greedy, overly evil, overly capitalist, you know, overly dictatorial, society will tend to redress the balance because that's how it functions. All right, so let's just go over those. If you've got any questions, ping them in if you're on the live feed. So number one, money is neutral, neither good nor bad. People make it good or bad. Number two, money is the fuel for all good. For example, universities, curing diseases, improving technology. It's also the fuel for poverty, depending on the beholder, the government, the system, the wielder at the time. So it, it does both. It's neutral. You can learn to manage better money. You can learn to manage better money. You can learn to manage money better by learning more about it. But only if you can see the upside as well as the downside. Number four, you will only make more when you learn to manage well what you already have. Number five, many of our great institutions, such as universities and libraries, were funded by wealthy philanthropists. Number six, capitalism is a relatively efficient and fair system, and it has endured over time. It, had, it has its critics. There are people that think that there are better systems, but they've not been proven to be effective. Um, there's been a few, and they've not lasted. Uh, there's always going to be some victims in any system. There's victims of war. There's victims of capitalism. There's victims of anything. Um, but... Uh, capitalism is the ubiquitous system which has prevailed over time. I'll, I'll cover the rest in a minute. I just want to say that whilst money, my book, isn't out, out yet, out, out, uh, it actually is available on pre-order on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and you, and you search money, Rob Moore, you can get a pre-order copy of mine. Um, it's been on pre-order for quite a while, so it's likely that um, we've sold quite a lot of them already. So I would definitely recommend going there right now and getting your pre-order copy. Okay, number eight, money flow or attraction has a formula of value plus fair exchange times leverage. Number nine, money, currency, etc., has evolved over time and will continue to do so. Money loves trust, it loves speed, it dislikes friction. So any new techs or, or systems that increase the speed and trust or when you increase the speed of trust of money, it increases the flow of money to you and through, through you. Number 10, fear, envy, guilt and shame tend to stint the growth of money and wealth. 11, others' judgment of you and your wealth is a sign of their emotions, experience and upbringing around money and not your own. Number 12, it's okay to love money but wise to manage and understand it well and beware of extreme emotions. Number 13, we live in a very sophisticated, balanced and relatively safe financial community and society when compared to history. 
Number 14, serving vast numbers of people with meaningful problems that you solve is a good formula for vast and lasting wealth. And number 15, the vastly wealthy tend to be persuaded or overthrown by society if they become too greedy and tend to become philanthropists and give it all back. Hope you've enjoyed this audio and video podcast. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Rob again, stay with me here because I've got a gift for you. I get asked for these a lot and I thought, well, I'll, I'll leverage my time and yours and I will put these four things I get asked a lot into a free gift for you. So if you go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report, then what I've done is I've written for you an article on the top 21 apps I use to create the mobile lifestyle. I've written an article on the 14, my most favorite educational, inspirational, informative documentaries of the you know, most inspiring people in the world. I've written uh, which ones they are and a synopsis of each one. I'm very well known for having lots of very specific goals, detailed vision values. So I'm sharing with you my particular document I use, I PDF'd it for you. And also the fastest ways I know to make money for startup and scale up entrepreneurs. So I've written an article and a detailed report on each one. I've put them all into one. And all you have to do is go to tiny.cc forward slash Rob's report. You get those for free. I'll never ask anything from you, spam. I'll never spam you, never sell to you. And then also once a week, I'll send you a new article or a new video content that's a bit different that maybe you wouldn't get normally from the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. So I hope you find that useful. Remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.